0: It would stand to reason that COVID nineteen would harm rural hospitals' ability to respond to their communities because of the financial and also the need for service, uh, the disruptions that happened there. But can you put a measure on the extent to which that's happened? Yeah, sure. the The most obvious challenge was in
1: the temporary suspension of quote elective procedures back in the spring. Um, this obviously put a pause on. Really, the greatest source of community support that these rural hospitals offer, which our research looked into, which is what we call in the business outpatient business. And this stands really in contrast to what we think about in our more urban hospitals, where they focus on inpatient uh, uh, care. And so, for example, you might go to the emergency department and get your ankle casted. You may go to your emergency department and have some sort of cardiac intervention if you're having a heart attack but then be shipped off back to home or be shipped off, packaged up, shipped off, stabilized uh, to a larger tertiary care center. So that's what rural hospitals do, Lyle. And one of the things we wanted to do was quantify that. And it turns out it's really a lot. 77% of their care is this type of care. So to directly get back to your question, the impact was severe. Uh, It was sudden. Uh, and hospitals were ill-prepared to weather that shutdown. Now, we wanted to actually look at that as well. And this new research puts a fine point on that. The median day's cash on hand, which is a accounting statistic we look at in industry, basically how much money you have in the bank, uh, was about a month. And so with a three-month shutdown looming, hospitals with about a month cash on hand were scratching their heads saying, Holy smokes, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna keep the lights on? How are we gonna pay our salaries? Now, some good news of course was the CARES Act really did throw a lifeline to these hospitals. And in the absence of that type of federal uh, intervention, I think we would have seen a huge portion, maybe a quarter or a third of those rural hospitals close because they have really been under the gun. They have uh, just seen uh, deteriorating uh, hospital operating margins over the last decade nearly half of these small rural hospitals are operating in the red. You know, and, and Lyle, I'm thinking of the old adage, no margin, no mission. Um, and what we're trying to say there is if you're not making enough money, taking in enough receipts to cover your costs, it's gonna be awful difficult to provide that care to your community. So I guess that's the short part of your question. The longer part of your question is what happens after you know we start opening back up? And hospitals have been very, very good about creating dual channels of care. What I mean by that is they've had a surge. Rural America has seen a surge, actually a surge that's outstripped what we saw in urban hospitals from a percentage basis. We saw those lines cross in uh, December, excuse me, in October and accelerate right through the new year, where rural hospitals were being taxed with COVID patients in their inpatient Uh, wings. Um, And so this has really put a strain on these rural hospitals. Nonetheless, there was a lot of innovation with dual systems of care. But I think the long-term impact is that while there was a surge in COVID utilization, again, to use industry jargon, um, that is they provided care to people who needed it because they had COVID-19. The long-term impact is we're seeing uh, a diminished a demand for care across the board. Folks are scared. That's one thing. Folks are putting off care as a result. Folks are demanding different types of care. They're looking at telehealth uh, as a way to pursue that care. And I, think, and I think that's a good thing, but it's not good for rural hospitals who are used to providing that care and, and, and charging their patients for that care. So a variety of things we can explore with that one question, and I'm sure you'll have some follow-ups there.
0: The idea that an industry would be facing the loss of revenue from three-fourths of its business offerings seems startling. Is there any other industry that would be a correlation to what rural hospitals were facing? I think so.
1: I think, um, you know, when we think about the entire travel industry, of course, it's been decimated and that's been widely reported upon. But this is airlines and hotels and conference centers, but also restaurants. Uh, So there's an awful lot of stuff that I think the average everyday American can relate this to um, and and certainly understands that pain. I think every one of us understands and knows folks who have lost their jobs, for example, uh, whether it's in some of the industries I just mentioned or others who have just really been decimated because of the inability to provide their services in person. Of course, those places where we can provide services at a distance, they've they've fared uh, uh, better, I guess.
0: The report shows that operating margins at rural hospitals are in the negative at some 46% of the rural hospitals, and that compares to 39% in 2015. Is this a direct correlation to COVID or are other factors at play here as well? Oh yeah,
1: good question. We could actually go back even further. We've been tracking operating margin uh, for over a decade as uh, a, a leading indicator. Maybe maybe you could consider it the canary in a coal mine, uh, you know, proverbial canary in a coal mine. And and, uh, the reason we look at that is, again, it's very difficult to keep your business afloat. Uh, We we don't think oftentimes of healthcare as a business, but of course it is. Uh, It's very difficult to keep operations sustainable in the absence of of, uh, revenues to cover your costs. An operating margin is a standard measure uh, that we can use to look at this. So, yeah, it's deteriorating. It's been deteriorating for a long time for a variety of reasons. Some of them are... uh, Direct result of policy, or inaction by Congress, or um, uh, unintensive, unintended consequences of, of, of various uh, policies from uh, CMS. So, I'll give you an example of just one or two. You may, you and your your listeners and your readers may recall the the budget impasse in which in which uh, the sequester was put on the table as the, the so-called nuclear option, and, and they called it the nuclear option because. No reasonable person would ever let that happen. But but of course, it did happen. Now, now the, the funny thing about this is when you talk about the budget impasse, people now say, well, which one? <laughs> um, but uh, this was when the sequester was enacted. And uh, since, since uh, 2012, we've really seen rural hospitals lose 2% of their Medicare reimbursement. That's a big deal. And it's a big deal for every health care provider in the country who s- serves Medicare patients, those 65 and older, but it's disproportionately impacting rural hospitals. Why? Well, when we understand the demographics of rural America. We understand that that is an older population. They also tend to be less affluent. They also tend to be thicker and they do struggle with access to care. So that's that's going to be a disproportionate hit. I'll give you one more example, um, and that's the so-called bad debt cuts. Now, Again, a bit of an industry jargon here. It's sometimes called charity care. But many of your readers and listeners may not be aware that if a person presents themselves to the emergency department, they must be seen uh, by law. And this means that many, many, many people who don't have the financial wherewithal to pay those bills nonetheless go to the emergency department because, well, it's an emergency. What else are you going to do? Um, and so they are provided care, but they may not have an ability to pay. Uh, and so the hospital may take reasonable means to collect those debts. And then at some point they write them off and say, you know what, this is what we call bad debt. We simply cannot collect this. Historically, rural hospitals were able to write some of that off um, to, uh, to get a tax break at the end to help cover that cost of doing business and that loss. Uh, and that was cut. Uh, later on. Um, and uh, that's really put a drag on rural hospitals. So these are just two small examples. There are many others. The point I would make is there are a variety of things that are sort of angling in on rural hospitals operating margins. And, and we have seen structural uh, spiraling negative margins for about a decade. And there's no reason to think Bill. The brakes will be put on that. Now, massive financial stimulus by the federal government, could actually, as we look at the data this next year, show an absolute blip in this longitudinal study, a blip to the positive, I would say, Lyle, where we see uh, uh, hospitals actually showing up flush with cash, etc. cetera. Uh, there was massive uh, infusion of cash to, to rural hospitals. The PPP program, you may remember, the Paycheck Protection Program and the like, uh, will really show up as we look at that data. And we're looking forward to tracking that here in the next nine, to 12 months when those data become available for 2020. Uh, having said that, that will be just that a blip because the structural elements that I described and many others uh, will just continue to put negative pressure on rural hospitals.
0: A solution being federal funding has to increase. That just seems like a one small piece of trying to solve a problem and could fly in the face of people who say you can't just keep throwing federal money at something. What types of solutions exist other <clears throat> than federal funding or increased payments from medicaid and medicare yeah it's a great question and i think you're exactly right that many people
1: will say you can't just keep uh, throwing federal funding at uh, these types of of programs but you can also say that in fact yes indeed you do have to keep applying federal funding to these types of programs a couple examples we know that the social security program and medicare both have to keep up with inflation, for example, and that inflation wage adjustment, excuse me, that inflation index uh, is such that you're seeing structural deficits in these payments as well. In other words, that increase is not keeping up with increasing costs, just structurally across the board. So again, there's another example where um, it's not necessarily about uh, throwing more money at something, it's about keeping up with something structural. We call it inflation, and periodically Congress does adjust that for Social Security, for example. So I think you could look at it in that light. And the other way to look at it is, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, the Hill-Burton Act um, sort of set a standard which said we're not going to have two countries in this country. We're not going to have health care for those who can afford it in urban areas, and everyone else is going to, uh, uh, frankly, be uh, scratching a living in the dirt and have no access to, to modern and affordable uh, healthcare and, and good quality health care. And so we've built hospitals in counties across the country. Well, they, they do require ongoing support. And many of these are aging 60, 70-year-old facilities. They need to be replaced. And so we have to think about as a country, are we going to make bold investments like that in the future to sustain the very things we've built? Let me just give you a, a metaphor. If, if we invested in a highway and a bridge uh, 30 or 40 years ago, and those highways and bridges were falling apart. Um, you know, would we decide? Well, we should probably
0: patch those up and improve them and modernize them. And I think you know, most folks are really desperate to see just
1: that happen. We've seen bridges collapse and so on and so forth. So, the rural health safety net is like a bridge right now. It's very old. It's aging. It's somewhat decrepit, and frankly, it's in danger of collapse. In fact, our research says there's 453 additional hospitals that are vulnerable to closure because of some of these systemic. Uh, policy challenges and reimbursement challenges. Now, your question went in a different direction, and I think it's important to talk about. There is a realization, I think, that many of the smallest and most rural of these communities may not need a, quote, hospital. Uh, Hospitals today are defined largely because of two sort of factors, uh, or around two factors. One is that 24-7 emergency department coverage, and and which, by the way, is enormously expensive to maintain. And the other is around um, uh, maintaining uh, inpatient uh, staffed beds. For some of
0: the smallest, most rural communities, there's a recognition that we need a new definition of
1: hospital that is federally recognized, and it may require legislation to create it. And that might be some sort of rural emergency and community hospital. Now, your own senator, uh, Chuck Grassley, Has been enormously influential in putting together ideas like that. Uh, He and Amy Klobuchar, in fact, uh, sponsored uh, the the REACH Act, right? The Rural Emergency and Community Hospital Act. And so there's a recognition there that maybe some of these really small, really rural places need to maintain emergency care. And maybe it's not 24-7, maybe it's somewhat akin to an urgent care facility, and maybe they need to drop the inpatient care altogether to therefore provide those really critical areas of care, that outpatient care for things like chemotherapy infusions and, uh, and so on and so forth for the community that, that needs those, those, those things to stay alive and, and to, keep, to keep themselves healthy with the knowledge that the folks are gonna have to travel further for those more acute types of care and definitive care. However, the bad news is here too, we get back to the original part of your question is does the federal government have to or cms
0: have to put more money towards things like this and i think um the studies are pretty definitive here while the answer is yes they do that
1: type of care is actually quite expensive also and so there's a recognition of some type of need for cost-based reimbursement which you know is a subsidy uh you know maybe some folks uh, on a political spectrum might call it corporate welfare But again, um, there is a recognition that those types of enterprises do not sustain themselves uh, with just market-based forces alone. They will need to have uh, subsidies in order to stay afloat. So some good ideas out there to create a path forward. Um, But uh, I'll tell you, you know, we've seen over and over and over again when rural communities lose those rural hospitals, uh, you see the tumbleweeds start to blow down Main Street pretty quickly. Um, Things dry up. Tax revenues dry up. Uh, it's really, really difficult for businesses to operate in the absence of, of health care like that. Um, all the federated or affiliated healthcare services tend to dry up and blow away, including the local primary care network. So, um, you know, this is really vital to rural communities, and folks need to recognize they're going to have to probably um, develop some sort of political coalition to create change and uh, an act of Congress, if you will, to to help support the safety net.
0: Are any of the Iowa hospitals among those 453 vulnerable to closure? The answer is yes. Um, we don't ever release the individual names of the hospitals. Um, you may may think of this uh, as protecting the innocent. Uh, I hope you
1: and your readers and listeners would appreciate why. We, we would certainly not want to do harm to a rural hospital that's you know kind of in a delicate financial situation. You could imagine creditors banging on their door, trying to get paid first, and so on and so forth. It would almost be like a run on the bank.
0: Thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. We'll keep you, uh, we'll keep you in mind as we release new research, and uh, we've got a few things we're working on right now. We'll send them your way as they come out.